What's up, everybody? It's Joe from Complex. You are listening to, you are watching the Complex Sneakers podcast. I'm with my guys, Matt Welty to my right. Another week, back at it again. Another week, and to my left, full of energy today. Who'd you expect, man? Brendan Dunn. How you doing? I feel okay. Feeling good. Right off the bat, I see a black and white fit. It falls in line with what you're doing tonight. You know what? Tell the audience you where you're what, going Joe? tonight. You know what, Welty? Today is a great day to be a lifelong Brooklyn Nets fan. Absolutely. This guy, this guy's going to the Nets game. Game two, we're recording this. Yeah. Game two, the playoffs, Celtics. I'm excited. And will you be in the general admission area? I'll be in a suite. Ooh, a suite. Yeah. Okay. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited for the food situation. I'm excited to see, you know, some playoff basketball, of mm -hmm. course, because as you know, I'm a big basketball fan. Huge. Uh, just a sports guy in general. Yeah. Um, but more than maybe more than that, let, let me say that I don't I don't want that to eclipse it. But I'm really excited to see what the food situation is, because anytime I've gotten a comp seat at a sporting event, mm -hmm. the food is always a big fixture for me. So so figuring out what kind of crab legs they got at Yankee Stadium or, you know, depending <laughs> on what you know, what I'm talking about. You've, you've been in the legend suite. <laughs> I actually have. I think I have. OK, the best, you know about the crab legs, the best seats I ever had at a Yankees game. Adidas took me front row. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, A Rod was still playing third base. It was like right there, Adidas. Yeah. But um, I wanted to ask you, what are the keys to the Nets' victory tonight? <laughs> <laughs> what are the keys to the Nets' um, victory? Is yeah. it points in the paint? Who are you looking for from a big game tonight? I'm looking for a dominant performance from Kyrie Irving for okay. sure. Uh, we need uh, we need KD to get some boards. K. Okay. Isn't this okay? Isn't this kind of it? It looks like the sort of fit where it's like a GQ story, where it's like how to dress for a sports game if you don't want to wear a jersey. Well, what I was saying is I'm ready for the Brooklyn Nets fitted to cap it off. Look, he has. We talked about the, hold on. We talked about the fitted sneaker matching last week, and now look, all you need is a Brooklyn Nets fitted. You know, there's a lid right around the block. You go get a Brooklyn Nets fitted, and it matches the are, gazelles. Are you just? Are you just? Are you disappointed that he didn't break out a Kooji sweater to go with it? <laughs> <laughs> are you going straight from here to the game yeah i'm going straight to the game you know what actually i think the nets was the first professional basketball game i ever saw live okay you know because like in brooklyn yeah of course um you know the brooklyn nets yeah um i i guess i feel i feel like i'm betraying a little bit my home state you know portland oregon blazers mm -hmm. things like that mm -hmm. but maybe they'll meet in the finals blazers nets Okay, is that who you're rooting for? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll, sports talk. We'll All right, that. this guy. Look you at know, you know Actually, funny story too. Mm -hmm. Speaking of free food at Stadia, I think I remember at Red Bull years ago, Matt Wealthy and I chomping on hot dogs. It was 2015. 2015. From, from, from way high up. Yeah. Nosebleed? No, 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 no. In a in a, in a oh. booth suite situation. Well, look at you guys. Only sit in the suites at the games? Okay. Must you don't have nice. fond memories? I thought that was going to jog yeah, some think, fond think, memories think, for you. This is we your were, home stadium. I think we were, it was, we were there and I think we were joined by Cornell. Yes. Oh, as, shouts to Cornell. Yeah. yeah former well. complex employee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was a open bar situation. So that was fun. And um, how did that end? Uh, Great. Okay. <laughs> took, a, took a train home. And like all wealthy no, no flares, <laughs> no flames, no, and no is, ice. No, no getting ice. No, this is all uh, oh, a little bit pre that. Goodness. Not okay. pretty much. Um, yeah. What else is going on this week? How was the weekend? Any notable things? Hung out with our good friend PG. Of course. <laughs> okay. What's the, what's the time code right here? Yeah, this PG. might be the earliest PG <laughs> reference we've ever gotten to. I'm glad we're wasting no time. Yes. I think we're about four minutes in. 
Yeah. What were you, you in Brooklyn? PG up to? Uh, we went to Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, and then I actually ended up taking Paul out to eat Polish food. Okay. Um, okay. He couldn't hang, but. What, he he tapped out after three kielbasa sausages. What, yeah, what do you mean he yeah, couldn't? Yeah, have? it was like, like a couple of golubkis and some uh, potato pancakes, and he was just like, "I can't take it anymore." <laughs> Were you at an all-you-can-eat situation? No, he just ordered too much food, and then uh, I think he couldn't. He ordered a passion fruit margarita, which was the most absurd <laughs> thing okay. of all time, and he couldn't finish it, so now, he left that one on the. I feel like he's going to be a little upset if it's out there in the public that he was drinking a passion fruit margarita. I don't have anything wrong with that, but yeah, listen, me either, but. His friend is a dry snitcher, so that's what happens. We, he, you know, PG listens every week because we bring him up every week, but he also must realize, every, you know, week so, in and week out, yeah. there is some personal dry personal information floated out to you. I, I gotta say, I went to the beach this weekend. How did I do on the sunscreen? Am I am I looking a little toasty or no? You look great. You're all right. Okay, I'm glad to hear it. Um, are, are you, you, which beach did you? Jones Beach. No. He would have said if he was in Long Island. He would have checked uh, in. You, you got to check in. Yeah, if you were in Long Island, you would have checked in, right? With me? Yeah, Joe and I would have been at Friendly's, you know, right after the session. I did go to Friendly's this week. How you were at Friendly's? This weekend. And you said that the service yes, is always a little uh, touch and go. I walk in and there was definitely a dispute over a dollar. <laughs> over a dollar. And I was like, it just... Bayshore? This uh, wasn't in Bayshore. A couple towns over but uh -huh. you saying on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that the service was always a little yeah. not great it just played in my head as soon as i walked in people were screaming over the over the george no Washington? screaming but it was okay. just like a five minute dispute where it was like come on you too know? much energy yeah too by, much wasted time by the way are you guys going to be at the beach at all this summer should we do like a group outing maybe a picnic or something a team building exercise or we is have that a not... lot to do with the team building we have so many things on our list mm -hmm. we have the beach mm -hmm. queen yeah. Utopia bagels. The Action Bronson sandwich. What else? Anything you want to add to the itinerary, Walty? I think that's pretty that's pretty full, right? You yeah. don't want to take us out in Jersey somewhere? I mean we can do that. The other thing, I had a chill weekend. Okay. I had a chill weekend. What I did watch is your co host, Trinidad James on Drink Champs. Yes. Big look for Trinidad James. Yes. Good interview. Some um, great stories, some great history. Yes. About everything he's done in this game. Definitely. Go check that out. Drink Champs with Nori. Trinidad James. Great episode. Yeah. I got I to say also, Trinidad was texting me the other night. And I don't want to give any spoilers. I think I mentioned this to you, Joe. But Ooh, I know. He, he's working on something exciting that uh, hopefully, hopefully will be out soon enough. And speaking, speaking of being out soon enough, Full Size Run is coming back very soon. Isn't that right, Welty? Yes doing uh, a little bit of uh, something this week. Not be out this week, but doing right. a little something this week. You sound really excited. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you sound really excited, but also you guys had a whole photo shoot. Can we say it? Yeah. Yeah, a we whole photo, photo shoot. shoot. We should, there was some uh, behind the scenes footage yeah. of Brendan Dunn, whether it may or may not make the cut. Maybe we'll release it at a later date, but... Uh, what were you hitting, the woe? <laughs> I, I don't I don't remember. Wealthy, wealthy has... Yeah, yeah, I, I think... I think I would. Welty, Welty has the footage that we can drop it in here if the people really want it. Okay. Sneaker news, what's going on? And uh, The rumors of the Dior Jordan 1s? I, I don't know, man. I don't think that's happening. Do you trust no? it, Brendan? I don't think that's happening. Are they going to threaten a legal action against you again? <laughs> the Dior 1s, for some reason, I don't know, man. Just not. I look at those shoes and they just don't. The original one. The actual real one that released. The real ones, but also those two colorways that came out yesterday, whether they were not. Happen. It yeah. just is like, I don't know. But does... What, when I know we've like spoken about this shoe a million times, but does it being like a predominantly white sneaker Maybe. knock it down for you? Maybe, yeah. If it was a black Air Jordan One, would 
Hmm? I haven't worn Jordan ones in so long. Really? Yeah, I really haven't. I always think of wearing the 94s, which I always want to wear. Yeah. And I just I almost I've been considering lately bringing out the black and royal Jordan ones. Of the many Jordan ones that I own, that's one of the few that I've actually worn. Those black and royal Jordan ones to me look the best beat up. Yeah. Like when you have a weather pair of royal ones, they always look great. Sometimes I'm on the subway and I see them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometimes I'm on the subway and I see like a weathered pair of royal ones. Is that ones. a cough? Huh? You coughing? It was a cough, yeah. It was a cough. Are you, are you in full health? Yeah, just allergies. Don't okay. worry. Don't worry. Uh, but yeah, black and royal Jordan 1s. We're all pretty calm today. I bought the Oreo 4s out. That's almost a black and white type thing. You might be coming. You coming in the Nets game too? Uh, we'll see. Any room for me in the suite? <laughs> yeah. I think I think the interesting thing too that. is the black and royal Jordan 1s, a shoe that Michael Jordan actually never wore in an NBA game. Okay. There's a picture of him playing basketball on a cruise ship wearing, that, black, okay. wearing black and royal Jordan 1s. Very like odd bit of you know jordan history but but let the record show that wealthy knows his jordan history there's like a running bit in in various um places that wealthy is anti- I mean, when you, jordan sit, when you guy, sit but... next to russ benson for like five years in the complex office you have no choice but to learn your jordan and history that's a, you should be thankful that's great exactly that's a, that's a blessing um another blessing right on the horizon it is a long day weekend it is memorial day yes, weekend it is. do we have any big plans i have no plans right now i am starting to think of st- Starting to think of the plans for the weekend, but we do have a four-day weekend. We have a four-day weekend? Four-day weekend. We're off Friday and Monday. Granted, we always work when we have those days off, but Friday... You're just on vacation, so... <laughs> you're keeping track? Is, is that what it is? I'm just saying you, you probably wouldn't have something... tabs on him? No, I'm just saying you probably wouldn't have something planned because you just went on vacation. Maybe, okay. maybe, maybe you go away again. Okay. I, I, I have no plans. You, you got any plans? I have no plans. Sad state of affairs. No plans. Memorial I, Day weekend. I wanted to do. There's a workout called Murph that you're supposed to do every Memorial Day. I've been. Tra- this is a CrossFit thing, right? Yes, I've been training for it a little bit, but I had a little bit of a knee setback uh, past week where I kind of maybe didn't keep up to where I was supposed to. What be. does the Murph entail? It is a one mile run. Okay, I've got you. So I'm with you so far. Yep, I could definitely Fol- do that. Followed by, and this can be broken up however you want, so it doesn't have to be okay. straight. Okay. 100 pull-ups. Um, okay, hold on. <laughs> Joe and I are hold out. On. 100 pull-ups, how many in a row? No, no, it can be broken up however you want. So the whole day, 10 you, here? You, no, no, no. You go you eat do, a hot dog no, afterwards? No, do this in like a one consi- like continual workout. But oh, you can be, you I, thought, can do, <laughs> I thought we were taking You can do a set of five. Potato and then, salad break and or then, something. Okay, a set of five, though. How long would 100 pull-ups okay. take? You'll okay, be doing so it for hours. On. Hold on. So you do 100 pull-ups. Okay. After the one-mile run. 200 push-ups. Okay. 300 air squats. That that I could do. And then followed by another mile run. Hey, let me ask you this. Can Joe and I split it? Sure. 50-50? Yeah, you know, like... Do you, you could throw... Up. What would I even pull up on? A bar? <laughs> yeah, but where? <laughs> who, 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 it's more like who's Joe going to pull up on? No, what bar... No, what bar... What pull-up bar? Do you have one in your apartment? You got some scaffolding outside the crib? No, there's <laughs> Just a, like the tips? <laughs> yeah, go out, go out yeah. on, on the... Um, uh, no, there's a park in Jersey City with a track next to it. But so. you're you're not going to be able to do the Murph, unfortunately. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it my go. Okay. You know what? All I'm right. Try. I did it last year. But you you completed the whole thing? Yes. What was the hardest part? Uh, gotta be the pull ups, right? The pull ups kind of gas you out, but on, like honestly, the push ups because usually you do the pull ups before you've done the push ups. Okay. And Joe, do you want to take the pull ups or the push ups? 
push-ups. Okay, I'm doing the pull-ups? Yes. Okay. Can you do a pull-up? <laughs> pull-ups are tough. Pull-ups are do, tough. When we did the I fitness thing in, when we did the fitness thing in gym, pull-ups were obviously the toughest. You know what I excelled at though? The sit and reach. What is that? Do you ever do the sit yes. and reach? Can you yes. show me the sit and reach? Flexibility. You have a box and you have to like go like that. Yeah. I always went out of the box, which very flexible. Thinking very outside agile. of the box since a young age. Huh? Thinking outside of the box since a young age. Absolutely. <laughs> sit yeah. and reach. I was always yeah, the, you had the mile top. run. Pull-ups. I think I think there was like a was there a pegboard? Are we going back well? to gym class? Because this is about to get really um, traumatic for me. Why? What, what did you? No, do? not really. No, <laughs> no it, was, it wasn't that. I, I mean, obviously, I wasn't the type to do a lot of physical activity. But I also had the record fine. from middle school, the mile run, 530. Really? Yep. Were there any sneakers you remember, Joe, when you had like uh, you had to get your gym shoes for the year? Adidas Falcon. Could that be? Could that have been one? Could have been. I remember not having a dedicated set of shoes for the gym. And I remember Miss Lippy in fifth grade being so upset that I came into her gym with mud all over my winter boots and ordering <laughs> ordering me to remove them. Winter as I, boots, gym class, <laughs> just playing ball all over the basketball court, like what, just ruining the whole, ruining the whole gym. So you're gym. on Miss Lippy's side here? Are you serious? I mean, so wait, you came into the gym with muddy Dog, boots in your I was in fifth grade. Your, what, what I, you, I, was, I didn't have control over, you know, what, what type of footwear I was going to be having for but, the year. Okay. Usually they make you sit out if you're wearing boots though. They I like think, I think they had some loner shoes or something like that. <laughs> I, is it, I is, is it like a remember. bowling alley where you have to like go tell them your size and like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's an interesting question because I don't really the memory I have is Miss Lippy being upset, you know, about me trudging Wait, is clods this, of dirt. Is this like who Miss Guthrie is based off of? <laughs> no, Miss Guthrie's a real wow. person. I mean Miss Lippy's a real person too, but totally uh discreet entities. But I don't remember beyond there after she yelled at me how how we remedied this situation what where i got the footwear from that i was wearing at gym do you that remember day. what activities you were playing <laughs> no i okay. don't no probably was... parachute maybe you know the parachute you put the ball in the oh middle. the parachute was the best thing that was ever. the best the big you go what you go underneath yes. it and yeah. sit on oh Teamwork, my god you baby. definitely are the type that who ran in the middle and like they had to stop and it's like you can't you have to hold it i can see you Causing trouble. You know, it was a big gym shoe back in the day. I said the Adidas Falcon, but also the Adidas Oswego. Yeah. Mm. Big one. Big base gym shoe. Yes. Yes, of course. By the way, uh, this this is a bit of a sad note, but I feel like it's something worth mentioning. Um, I just want to pay a quick tribute to Marco, a.k.a. I Love Swoosh on Instagram, who was killed last weekend in Jersey. I can't speak too much about him because I didn't know him personally, but... Mm -hmm. All the stories I've seen from people sharing, you know, their memories of him, you know, it just seems like he was a beloved guy kind of in the tri-state sneaker community. I know he worked at Foot Locker for a while yeah. and just somebody who people are really missing right now. So, uh, again, I, I didn't know him personally. I don't have any stories I can share, but everybody that I know uh, that knew him is really missing him right now. So just kind of wanted to give him that space very briefly. Absolutely. We send our condolences and yep. I know that you had mutual friends with him. Yeah, I, I don't I, I've uh, never met. I never got the chance to meet him mm -hmm. personally, but a lot of very close friends of mine are were very close friends with him. So very, very unfortunate situation. Yeah, let's let's move on from that. Let's let's get to the sneaker giveaway. Each week we are giving away a pair of sneakers with eBay. So we do have a special sneaker this week to give away. To and whose turn? I think it's I'm, Matt Wealthy's again. turn. Again, Again. When, when, how, yeah, I don't know. We have to hold on. We got to do the accounting come, a little bit. It seems come, like this guy's. I haven't given away any sneakers on this podcast yet. 
All right, so yeah, Matt Welty again is giving away a pair of sneakers. I know this one, I'll let him tell it. I actually have these shoes. Okay. In uh, my parents' basement. Yeah. Yes. Oh you didn't need you any really help from You really like love those. Yes. No, I just picked the Joe just. No, but off. like you, you like this is one. Of you, I yes. have these. I got them when they came out. What yes. year did they come out? 2013. Yes. Yeah, so I got them when they came out. To be honest, it might have been a Wex. Could have been a Wex uh, alley oop. Seems pretty likely to me. But wealthy. All right. Tell so us uh, what we got. Picked something that I have wanted for a long time. This is the Bape X Undefeated X Adidas ZX 5000 from 2013. It was a three-shoe pack. There was also a black campus and mm -hmm. a green campus that came along with these. But for what it's worth, I think this shoe is the cream of the crop out mm -hmm. of the three. Um, as everyone knows, big fan of the Adidas ZX line. I think that when it comes to collaborations, this is like... The, one of the pinnacle of all the ZX. Yeah, of all done, that. Yeah. And I would say too that this is probably when it comes to like crossover hype. Yeah. This shoe is a shoe that's like pretty expensive to try and get your hands on these days, obviously, because there's the Bape connection to mm -hmm. it. And of course. I think it's just an awesome shoe with the green and then the gum sole. You have the undefeated hit. Triple collab. These are awesome. So whoever gets a chance to get these got something good yeah we are giving these away this week to mark elliott from cleveland tennessee we are asking his question so again i i always want to break down how this is working for those of you who are listening for those of you who are watching each week we will tweet out a call for questions on friday from the complex sneakers twitter account and you can submit a question to ask us and we will answer it on the following episode and if we select your question then you will be getting a pair of sneakers from eBay. That's authenticity guarantee. You can see the tag on there, super duper legit. If they're not your size, you can sell them on eBay. Uh, no seller fees for sneakers over $100. So anyways, Mark Elliott is, is the winner this week. We are picking his question. His question is, which brand do you believe has the best sneaker customization program where the customer picks the design? Joe? I don't have that much history with IDing sneakers. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, Back in the day when I thought about it, they always came out the way I didn't want them to come out. <laughs> Have okay? you bought a lot of like Nike ID stuff? Well, I would do Nike ID and I would make them colorful. Oh, always. Yeah. yeah. And every time I got it, I was like, oh, and this was back in the day. So I can't speak to the recent yeah. program. That was, which a, I, that was a trend for a while, though, like 2007, 2008, where people used to make like super crazy color, like Air Max 90s and stuff like absurd that. Absurd looking stuff. Yeah. But what I the fix that I did just doing one tone. So there was like a Nike Air Max. So there really? was Really? Like, Joe's just yeah. going to do it in all black. I feel like if no, you're but, paying but listen, for Nike ID no. and you had the chance to make a sneaker totally your own and you could do anything Willy Wonka type shit mm. and you just do one color. I see what you're saying. But you know, I, I like a, a cool gray Air Max 95 came out really good. Okay. Honestly, like uh, I wouldn't do like black on black, but like cool gray 95 I did. Uh, what else have I done in the past? I've done, you know what I recently was doing when those zoom flies went on yeah. Nike ID, I yeah. did like a oh, you did the JLP one. Yeah, right? I did like the JLP. I, I kind of messed it up, but I did like a weather. <laughs> you did a typo. The, well, the JLP, I really wanted it small and yeah. it like, it's a full label. It's like, okay. yeah, so whatever. But it, I did like, um, you could weather the soles, which I'm totally into. So yeah. I did a zoom fly with the weathered sole and JLP on it. But that was, that's been my extent of basically Nike ID recently. What yeah. about you guys? 
I've actually never gone through and ordered a pair of shoes from Nike ID. I remember when I think it was like 2009 when they had brought the Air Max One back and like mm -hmm. there was a bunch of awesome color combos on there. Like people were making like Heineken Air Max Ones and it had all like the, you know, the the micro mesh and, you know, the the uh, micro suede and all that. So I remember that. Um, but I, surely you, you test you did a lot of test driving, yes, right? Yes, I did a lot I think of test drives. But, but, but I never but I never I never pulled the I never pulled the trigger on any of those. I've gotten the chance to do a few shoes through the NB1 program, which mm -hmm. New Balance is, is like not currently available. So stop asking me when it's going to be available because I don't. You have ran the, the program or <laughs> you do no. customer oh. service? No, no. But pe people <laughs> assume that for some reason I know everything that's going on behind. The ask Joe Fresh Goods. Yes, ask Joe. Um, yeah, I've done a few shoes through there. Some of them, I actually, uh, you know, another guest on here, Hikmet. I kind of like co-designed a shoe on mb1 with him once wow. like i was like sending him like multiple ones he's like no you should do this you should mm -hmm. do this on it and i was like oh this is actually it was fun you yeah. know it was cool to do um the, the thing with those programs is like you'd get hyped on it and then there'd be like a weird material option that like you couldn't like bypass or yeah, something you, like you that. didn't want it you didn't I want agree. that they would give you like, like a that. coupon code to do like one shoe but they're like you have to use like this like tweed pattern mm -hmm. on the toe box and you're like i don't want to use that like i but yeah what about you don um yeah I, I think that the best is definitely nike id and has been i mean i've i've done some new balance custom stuff over the years that i quite like i think i did a super nintendo new balance yes. 993 that i really enjoy oh, that's cool I, I have a couple nike id pairs but nothing that crazy um just just a basic pair of like air max 95s with blue and speckling on the midsoles but it, nike id definitely when i was in high school it was the type of thing where we would just spend hours on there coloring up dunks and things like that different panels and then thinking should we spend the money on this but never ever doing it and you know I just don't like custom sneakers that much in general. And obviously these ID programs or these custom programs are a little bit different when they're actually through the brand versus yeah. a customizer making them. I, I feel like if anything, I wish that bespoke were still around because maybe maybe you'd be like tempted to do it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like Air Force One bespoke. But I, yeah, I, I never did Nike ID too much in terms of buying things. Spent a lot of time on there though, uh, thinking up things. I did get to make a pair of custom Air Force Ones at a Nike. That's event right. That were on the that were on that part of the full size run. Yeah. Set. I don't really know Is if you'd consider the, the Brick City yeah. joints, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did those. And the one thing I want to say, and I'm tired of bringing it up all the time, that you got ripped off. No. The person who wears the most Nike ID sneakers I've ever seen is pg and he needs to stop it because every single time i see this guy he has a pair of air force ones that he's like oh i flipped it into like the black toe colorway i put the supreme dunk colorway on okay, it okay so and every single time i see it i'm like paul get some fucking creativity when you're id <laughs> these shoes because PG, they're, look they're so boring uh, and every single time i see the man he has but the what same I, shoes on so what i think i saw on so this is what i think i saw maybe on his account and I wanted to bring it up. Yeah. Making Nike IDs that look like actual dunks that released. Yes. Like Blasting. so he does that a lot and he resells, right? Because did I see like the faux 711 dunk that he make? I mean, if you've ever others? spent time on yeah. Nike ID, you, you definitely did that. I remember trying to turn one colorway onto another shoe again and well, again and again. Well, the thing is now is that Nike on the ID program or the Nike by you as it, right. as right. it's mm -hmm. called it's no now is that called Nike the ID. options are like so limited 
that it's like it used to be you know the air max one was on nike id for five months you know and it was like you got to make your shoes but then now it's like the shoes shock drop and they're going to tell you that they're going to drop you know or on next tuesday and they give you a week to like plan your designs out but you need to like order them right when the shoe drops and then it sells out right so mm -hmm. it's like kind of kind of weird so people are actually reselling those now and you know the thing that kind of counts me out on nike id the patience and the lack of patience yeah, that I, mean, I don't have. Six weeks or something. I go and I design. <laughs> and then by the time it comes I in, go you and design, I go and design and I'm like, all right, uh, where's the drop down menu for three to five business days for shipping? <laughs> and it's like, it'll be ready in six weeks. And then I'm like, all right, I, I can't wait that long. So good question though from Mark Elliott. And he's getting a pair of triple collab limited Adidas undefeated bait. Well, we have an awesome guest today. So let's get to that. Our guest on today's podcast was part of some of the most notable design moments at Nike for decades. He first started out there in the late 90s and then held the top global design positions for verticals like Nike Sportswear, Nike Skateboarding, and Nike ACG. His tenure at Nike included remixing iconic silhouettes with new technology, a knack for creating hybrid mashups, and an expertise in new material innovation. Besides sitting atop those departments at the swoosh, his archive includes work on notable special makeups like the Head Automatica Air Force Ones, Opium Nike 180s, the Cause Air Max 90, Air Force One Pack, and the ultra-limited Beautiful Losers set of dunks. Look through your closet, and if there's a standout pair of Nikes, there's a good chance our guest had a hand in its creation. Under his current agency at Tribe Called Champ, he's involved with footwear projects from the heavyweights like Union, Undefeated, and Stussy. We're excited to welcome to the Complex Sneakers podcast, Jesse Leva. Welcome, Jesse. What's good, guys? How you guys doing? Great, great. Great to see you. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. <laughs> what, what, what a resume. It's, it's, yes. Jesse, we were talking before having you on here, and it's like every cool shoe that you think of from the past 20 years at Nike, Jesse Leva had a hand in somehow. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, they always say I was at the right place at the right time, like straight up, like back in the late nineties. Um, so I was very, very fortunate for sure. Before you landed at Nike, we want to know kind of about your childhood growing up in sneakers. I know the first pair you ever got was a pair of Cortez. I, I know after that, there was this moment I, I want to know about where mm -hmm. your dad brought you to the mall for a pair of Jordan one set that scene for us. Yeah. Like, um, my parents were great. So, um, they're both migrant workers. So working hard is something that like we just always did. And we would, my dad would manage, um, berry fields mm -hmm. in the summertime. So I would, I would pick, I would, I'd be the guy with the crates and putting them on the truck. This is in Woodburn, so Oregon, right? This is, this is in Woodburn, Oregon. Yeah. This is like on the farms of Woodburn. And, uh, every summer I would save up my money and we would, we would buy something really big. Um, and, this though, when the Jordan ones were dropping at the time, Nordstrom's was where my dad was like, we're going to Lloyd Center Mall mm -hmm. and we're going to get the, we're going to get the Jordans. And we went super early, like almost like staying the night. Like I remember like leaving in the middle of the night and we're like standing out there. And my dad was ahead of this game before anybody, cause there wasn't anybody really in line, but he's like, we're going to get them. We're going to be there early. So you get your size. And that really changed me forever, man. Like that was, that was the beginning. And, and. After that, I rarely played bought Jordans to play in mm -hmm. um, because I wasn't working as much because I started getting involved in sports. So I didn't have that money. Like I was buying team shoes. I wasn't buying that. So, but that Jordan one was really a big moment for me as a kid. Um, I think everybody has a Jordan one moment, but that was mine. Was your dad wearing Jordans as well, or he just wanted it for his son? 
Nah, my dad was wearing cowboy boots. My dad's wow. from Texas. And so my dad was probably wearing, which is an interesting story because there's a Stussy dunk that we did with ostrich. But my dad was probably wearing some ostrich cowboy boots at the time. Um, but like his kid was wearing sneakers for sure. That's awesome. So, so how did you turn that Jordan one moment into kind of like a sneaker obsession? Like where, how did it grow from there? For me as a kid, like, um, sneakers were something that like was currency for me, even as a young kid. Mm -hmm. And so I would have like, um, you know, nylon Cortez's or I would have like, you know, like winos or whatever. And that would, but then I would have sneakers and I never got, I tried not to ever get them dirty. And even back then when I played in a sport, like whether it was basketball or whatever, I would always have two shoes. And so I just started collecting. I was blessed and cursed. So I was blessed because I became a size nine very young, mm. but I was cursed because I stopped growing. And so, mm. but it's like a blessing to curse. So like I'm a sample size nine. So from the time I was probably like in sixth or seventh grade, I was a nine. So I was able to keep all my shoes. And it was fun because it was like I was able to mix and match them all the time where a lot of kids were going from like a size seven to 11. And so you couldn't really collect your sneakers because you were like growing out of them. I didn't grow out of them. I just kept them. I kept them clean. Um, and my dad was really like we were we were toothbrushing sneakers like from a really early age um, before there was like Jason Mark or whatever. You know, we were we were on it, um, keeping my shoes clean because that was that was everything. Jesse, one of the monumental shoes for you, Air Max 95, um, I read a story and you had done uh, 50, your 50 greatest sneakers of all time at Complex. It's kind of funny because I remember reading that in 2010 and that's actually kind of what inspired me to, to do what I'm doing now because I'm like, this guy loves all the odd, weird shoes. This isn't just Air Jordan 1, you know, Air Force 1 and like just really basic stuff. But you have a story about the Air Max 95. You said you saw them on a woman once who was wearing shorts and it just highlighted the shoe and you knew you had to <laughs> have them from that point on. Was that like a real turning moment for you when you bought those sneakers? Yeah, I was in, I was in college and um, I remember we were coming home from like practice and one of our neighbors, so we, we would have, we lived in this like cool little spot where there were three little houses and one of our neighbors was a house and it was all girls. And one of the girls always had fresh sneakers on. And I came home and we were like, I was just mesmerized. I was like, what is she wearing? Because there were no blogs or anything back then. So you like, actually didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know when it was coming out. Like it was just like, just mesmer. Like what, yeah. what, what is that? Mm. And she was like, oh, I just got them at the mall. And we were like, we all jumped in my friend's Jeep and we're like, we're going. And we read, like, we went to the mall. We didn't even know how much they cost. I don't think none of us bought them because we were like, we didn't have like that kind of money, but we just wanted to go see them. And it changed everything. Yeah. Like she was, yeah, she was wearing them. And it was crazy because it's like, yeah, I just remember to this day, she was wearing like cutoff shorts, Air Max 95s, no socks. And it was just like, wow. Like it was just, it changed everything. Like her, the colors look so cool. Um, yeah, it just changed me forever. And I remember where I was when I saw the first 95s. Um, Jesse, didn't you say that at some point that you took out some college student loan money to buy yourself a pair of Air Max 95s because <laughs> you needed them so bad? Yeah. So this was, a, yeah. So I was, I was, I'm still the worst. Like, it's like when it comes to sneakers, if I need to have them, I'm going to get them. Of course. Um, and so I was, 
I was, when I was in school, um, I was on a work study kind of like um, scholarship to play football at the small school in Oregon called Southern Oregon. And so what I would do is I would get these work. So they would give me these work study checks. And basically I would turn the lights on and off in the gym. That was like my job um, <laughs> to get the money. And I would get these, these paychecks. And literally then I was like, okay, I figured out very quickly. You could take at the time short-term loans in college. And like I told my kids, don't take out any short-term loans when you're in college. <laughs> I did. And it was literally for sneakers. Like we would take them out and we would buy sneakers with them. And I bought Air Max 95s for sure with those. Um, but yeah, like we would, that was, that was a really bad game that we were into. But I did that a um, lot we in were, college. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, so but I. I would use my tuition money or like my loan money all the time to buy shoes. Well, the best was the bookstore. You could get like cool Yukon basketball gear. So, and the receipt showed up, like you just spent $500 at the bookstore and I would have like velour Yukon men's basketball suits. So yeah, same thing. Exactly. But Jesse, so how you're, you start as a collector doing whatever it takes to get the shoes that you wanted. How do you get to Nike then? Yeah. Like, so when I was at Nike, when I was in college, um, my roommate, his mom worked in HR in human resources at Nike. Okay. And she would come to our house and she'd be like, what are all these sneakers you have? Like I'd be in college and be like, all the closets are going to be stacked with sneakers. And then she saw like one of my final projects was I did a project when I was in school around how Nike could do different colors of Air Force Ones. And I didn't know what I was doing, but like at the time it was like, you know, my, my final project was do something, you know, build something. From a, so I was a, I was a communication major. Okay. Um, so I was a comms major and it was like, do a project on something you think the industry doesn't know about. And I was like sneakers. That's all I knew. You know, mm -hmm. I was like sneakers. She saw that and she's like, I have a 50th birthday party. You need to come up. I want to introduce you to some people. I was like, okay. And again, I was a kid. I didn't want, like, I literally was already had plans. I was moving to Boulder. I was going to like snowboard. I was mm -hmm. like, not looking for a job at all get up to there and she's like, she introduces me to a bunch of people. And I, again, like I was a kid, I didn't know what I was doing. And it ends up where it's like, I meet some people and they're like, wow, like you should come work for us. And I was like, yeah, it'd be great. And so things happen. I still go to Boulder and go snowboard for a while. I make it back to Portland and I hit them up and they're like, we really don't know what to do with you. Like we, your resume is really interesting, but you have mm -hmm. no experience because you just played sports and you mm -hmm. like, you pick up golf balls at a, at a driving range. That was the extent, or turn the lights on. Like my extended work experience was like turning the lights on at a gym and, and, and driving at a range. So I started at the bottom and it was the best thing that could have ever happened. And I think part of the reason I was so fortunate to land in all these positions I was at is that at the bottom, you get to see everything that's up on top, up mm -hmm. the top. Mm -hmm. And um, it really changed everything for me. So that's how I got in. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting because like early on, you know, you're working on like a lot of uh, like cross training projects that, you know, that will play later in to your career. But early on, did you see um, when Nike started catering to like the sneakerhead audience? I know I've like spoken to people like Drew Greer in the past who, you know, did like the, the Wu-Tang dunks and like the Rockefeller stuff early on, which Nike wasn't even down with doing at the time but you're very early on in this whole like nike sportswear mm -hmm. energy like do you know what it what it was like to convince the brand that they need to make these cool products 
So what's crazy is that when when I started, there wasn't a thing called sportswear. Mm -hmm. They really didn't know what we were. Like there wasn't a name for it. Um, Drew was doing like at the time limited edition. It was called limited edition LE, and he was doing some Air Forces and Air Maxes and. For me, I remember at the time I was an Eakin the first time I met Drew. So those of you guys who don't like Eakin's like Nike spelled backwards. And so I was Eakin in Southern California and I went to a sales meeting in Houston and Drew was in charge of like all the hottest sneakers. And you would go to these sales meetings and they would present all the product. Right. And so I went and everybody's doing all their pitches, et cetera. And Drew gets up there and he's like, fuck it, turn it up, turn the music up. He didn't say a single word. And I remember he played, it was Jay-Z and he plays it. And literally he's just like, boom, like Navy, like the blue, blue Air Max 95, boom, dunks. And literally he's just like, and people are going not crazy. Anything, and I'm like, holding shoes up. Not, he didn't wow. say a single word. He just went like this. And we were like, the Eakins always sat in the front cause we were like the youngest people there. And we were losing it. Like we were like, oh my God. And I'm like, I want to do what he's doing. Like, I don't know what his job is. I want to do what he's doing. And there were a lot of moments like that for me where it's like, I don't know what that, I, I just, that, that's it. <laughs> um, because he was, when I was in California, I was an Eakin and I was the worst Eakin because all I was doing was going to sneaker shops and meeting people. Mm. I really wasn't doing what you were supposed to do, which, which that happened a lot for me when I was at Nike. I was like trying to meet the dudes up on La Brea and I was like, mm -hmm. you know, I was going down to Chula Vista foot action, which was not the foot action I was supposed to go to, but the dudes in Chula Vista knew what was up. They knew their sneakers. So I would go there and I would just sit there all day and talk to them about sneakers. I was like getting paid for it. But anyways, yeah. So that was when I knew somehow like Drew was everything the guys in the shops were telling me, Drew already knew it. Mm. Like everyone was like, yo, we want new colors and, you know, 95s, new colors and, you know, trainer threes, new colors and dunks. But at the time, Nike, and that's what's so great about Nike, is Nike was all about the next thing. Nike wasn't about the last thing. Right. Um, and so there were a group of us that when I came back up to Nike, they kind of didn't know what we were doing. And honestly, they didn't care. Like, they were like, you guys are just a few kids messing around with colors of sneakers. You know, we're designing the new Pippin. We're designing the new foam posit. And we were like, sick, great, you know, because we needed both. But yeah, they didn't know what we were doing. Um, and they didn't care because there was only a few of us doing it um, for friends. So yeah, I was, for, I was very fortunate. And then how did you balance basically one thing looking at your top 50 sneakers of all time? You have like the mocks on there and the footscapes and some weird, you know, considered weird looking designs. How did you balance the hype? and the collaborations with kind of like those, what shoe dog type of sneakers. Yeah, because there, there wasn't hype back then. Mm. You know, I was, I was literally talking to Clark Kent yesterday mm -hmm. and we were talking about back then, the thing called like hype didn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know, it was people love, we love sneakers. Yeah. And all kinds of sneakers. And it was like, whether it was a mock or a trainer one or a foam posit or a penny, we just loved sneakers and and the reason we loved them is because we loved the story of the sneakers like what are they for you know none of us were playing in the nba very few of us were going on these crazy adventures you know for acg 
But something about those brands and those sub brands, they spoke to us because the design of the sneakers are so great. So yeah, I, I'm not a, a I'm I'm not a sneakerhead. I just love sneakers. Mm. Like yeah, all all of them. I love innovation. I love technology, um, and that's kind of what what drew a lot of the people in the early days to what is now called like this whole sneaker culture thing. Yeah. Was yeah. we just we love sneakers. Jesse, it's funny because I know that as soon as you started working at Nike, you must have been accruing some cool shoes, but wasn't there a moment where somebody broke into your house and all your shoes got stolen or something like that? You, you, did you have to start from zero? I started from zero, yeah. So when when I when I was working at Nike, I so I had a roommate, and again, like at the time I was I wasn't making enough to like there were there was a stretch of years where I had like I had these credit cards and I'm like, yo, if I don't make it at Nike within the next like three years, I have to go somewhere else because I wasn't making hardly any money. Uh -huh. So I had this apartment and it wasn't the best apartment. And me and my roommate both worked there. We're like, yo, I didn't think about it. But people were like, you should be careful. You have a bunch of sneakers and stuff. And I'm like, nobody wants some sneakers yeah. at the time. I didn't think anybody wanted them. Yeah, we got broken into. They left everything. They left all our clothes, our TVs, everything. All they took was sneakers and everything. Because remember, I was, I've been a nine. Dude, every Jordan, wow. every single Jordan up to like, you know, I think like the 13, every, every penny, because I love oh. the pennies. Trainer ones, original trainers, because I love the trainer from trainer one to trainer three to the Bo Jacksons. All of those, because I was a nine from a little kid. Yeah. So I literally had all those sneakers and they took them all. And like, they didn't even like leave the box. They took everything. Um, <laughs> Do you think it was an inside was crazy. job? Yeah. That, that, that someone knew you had all those sneakers in the apartment? Right. It had. So yes, you know, and I, I like, I have these like theories where like we were running, it happened when we were running the hood to coast re relay race. Of course. And our house was one of the places where people would come and we like, we'd like, they would take a nap before different legs or whatever. And I'm like, I wonder if someone who was on our team told one of their friends like, yo, these guys have so many sneakers. Um, but anyways, yeah, it sucked. So it changed everything. Yeah. Like all my quote unquote collection. So I stopped collecting from that moment on, but I did collect like one-offs and mm -hmm. things that I worked on that I thought were like, I, I was really fortunate in my time at Nike where there were a lot of things that didn't work. Like we went on a good run, right? And we would there were there was like sneakers that were just hitting. He said a good run. I remember Jesse, when I you, you, <laughs> yeah, for, for like fifteen humble. years you were yeah. making the biggest shoes at Nike. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was cool. But like, I remember one day like um, Mark Parker came to to my cube at the time, and he was like, we were t he would always come by like, what are you working on? What are you working on? Back then it was like there weren't that many creatives. It was really small. And you'd have the CEO just sitting in your cube talking sneakers. Um, and I remember one day he was like, you guys have too many successes. I don't think you're pushing it enough. Mm -hmm. And that was another moment that changed me. So you say like, yo, you were really into a lot of different sneakers. Mark was always like, yeah, if you're not pushing it, you're never going to know how far you can go. And so from that moment, I was like, okay, great. And so I started keeping the things that didn't work. Like, Things would come out and, and people would look at it like it's it's nuts. Like people talk to me about like the splatter dunks. Mm -hmm. The yeah. reason those are so limited is nobody wanted to buy them. Mm -hmm. Like we couldn't get retailers or the sales team to want it. And so it's like, okay, we're not going to make any. Let's just make 24 for some friends. You know, like people weren't feeling the stuff we were doing at the time, not in masses. And 
when they did do it, it was just, I don't want to say it was a little bit too ahead. I just don't think there were enough of us um, yeah. that knew what was up. What other stuff didn't come out around that time? A lot of the like, hey, there's only 24s. The reason there were 24s is because like, we didn't have this like crazy, um, this master plan. Right. You know, it was, we were talking to friends when we would travel and we they'd say, oh my God, what if we did this? What if we did that? And the end goal was always like, there's nothing that feels better than when you work on a sneaker and you travel the market and you see people wearing it. Yeah. Right. And when any collaborator I've ever talked to, they've always said the same thing. The idea of keeping things limited wasn't ever a conversation really. Like, you know, they were always like, oh, I want people to get my art. Like when you work with Futura, he's like, yeah, I want to see people like enjoying the stuff I'm working on or Jeff McFedridge. He's like, I want to work. I want to see people wearing it. Cause it's like, it's a good place for me to express my art to a broader audience. Yeah. Um, that being said, when you're showing accounts, you don't quite, who are really looking for just kind of like what they consider the big home runs, the stuff we were working on was kind of like small niche. Um, you know, it was made for like sneaker boutiques kind of thing. Yeah. And, and so, you mentioned yeah. Mark Parker, were you around at the beginning of HTM, that design trio that Mark Parker was a part of? Because that was seen like kind of the pinnacle of Nike sportswear at the time. Do you remember when HTM started? I remember when HTM started. Um, yeah, I was there. So because I was there before there was HTM. Right. Um, this is Hiroshi, when, when, Tinker, and Mark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hiroshi, Tinker, and Mark. And um, yeah, I was told I was there. And I remember like seeing what they were doing and again loving the fact that like you had two of the highest people at nike and really all they wanted to do was make cool sneakers for them like there was no right like htm was really just mark tinker and hiroshi just making stuff they wanted to wear mm -hmm. it wasn't like you know it was just like oh we think this could be cool and tinker always pushing innovation hiroshi pulling like pushing like the the most elevated like sense of taste from a taste level standpoint and then mark being like the genius to put it together it was awesome. Jesse, I want to ask you about two specific sneakers that are kind of like close to my heart. When I was looking at Complex before I worked here, I remember the head Automatica Air Force Ones. And I remember Bradley Carbone putting them in the issue. And there was 48 pairs made. And one thing looking through your archive, you have all these sneakers. And how involved were you in, in those projects? And what was it like to put like a project like that? Uh, one of my favorite Air Force Ones, honestly, to this day. Yeah, like my so back then it was it was so different because we knew we were such a small crew. So Tim Bergevin was like the entertainment marketing guy back then. And he was like, yo, like we were doing it was coming right off the first um the three project. You guys remember like it was Sarah Jessica Parker and yes, Pharrell yeah, yeah. That, that that did shoes. Wait, so wait, it was wait, coming wait, wait. right we have off to ask about Pharrell real quick. Yeah. Somebody told us that Pharrell never knew that dunk was happening. You got to talk to somebody else. I'm, that's, I don't know. Okay. okay. <laughs> Someone on this podcast a couple of weeks ago said that Pharrell was almost taken back when he saw the dunk. Again, no comment. Okay. But, um, okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, um, so it was coming off of that. And Tim was like, we should do this, this, this shoe. And so I was always experimenting with different materials. And we, I had a really cool team that I was working with at the time. And we were always pushing colors, color treatments, materials, graphic treatments, and then always wanting to do things that made people a little bit nervous. 
Okay. And so Head Automatica was that. It was like they weren't huge. Yeah. Nobody really knew who they were. And it was like, why are you working with them? And the color palette and how it's like, again, we worked with them because they wanted to do something that we hadn't really done before. So yeah, we did it. And again, back then there wasn't a huge like like uh, master plan or asking. It was just Tim and me and like going, hey, what do you think? So, yeah, let's do it. And we'll see what happens. And we didn't think about like, yeah, anything else, just making shoes. I, I love that shoe. And another shoe that I love that Nike hasn't brought back that I am waiting for it to come back. I ran, when I worked at Finish Line, it was the first sneaker I wore on my first day of, of work, but also I ran like cross country in them. And I'm wondering if you have any insight on why this hasn't come back. The Air Zoom Citizen. Dude, I love the Citizen. I was an Eakin with the Citizen. Okay. We've tried. So Wait, we, citizen, have to explain, I, even, I, we have to explain to people what an Eakin is. We all know what an Eakin is. It's but a Nike for, rep. For people who don't yeah. know, it's it's the person, again, Eakin is Nike backwards. They know the product frontward and backwards. They're out there uh, um, evangelizing on behalf of Nike. And, and I remember on Nike. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember on Nike Talk, you always used to you always used to see Mike Eakin told me this, and yeah, they yeah. really had a lot of the information. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Jesse. No, it's true. It's like it's true because like back then, what an Eakin was was essentially it was like it was the, it was a training ground. It was like D one to get to like the pros, mm -hmm. you know. And so, getting a job as an Eakin back when I was an Eakin was at the time we, it was like very it was super hard to get mm -hmm. um, because there weren't very many of them. And it really could open all kinds of doors for you at Nike because you got a taste of everything. You got a taste of product, taste of design, a taste of sales, a taste of marketing. And they would really hire, like we had a very eclectic group of beacons where some people wanted to, who came later, they were division one athletes and they wanted to work in sports marketing. You know, some people wanted to work in, in, in just in sales and they wanted to sell product. So it was an amazing job. But yeah, the Eakins were, um, back then it was just kind of like, they just let us out there and they said, just go talk to as many like shop shop clerks as you can and find out what's the word on the street. Like are products selling, are they not selling? And we were pumping out so many technologies at the time. Mm -hmm. So like things like the citizen was like zoom air. We had to explain to people working at finish line or foot action um, and foot locker. Those are really the big three uh, that we would always talk to and explain to them what the technology was because as a kid coming into a store, you're used to a big bubble. And then all of a sudden you see like this new technology with tinsel air, which mm -hmm. is what zoom air is, right? Mm -hmm. A bunch of yarn. And it's like, what the hell is that? Mm -hmm. And it was fun. We would just go around and talk to kids about sneakers, which is really what today people love to do. But back then it was a job um, and it would pay us to do that. Any crazy. insight on why maybe that shoe hasn't come out? Is it because maybe it didn't sell or it's, it's under the radar or, or I'm just waiting for the day, Jesse. <laughs> I am too, like straight up because, but, but I, I mean, the real, re I don't know why the reason is because mm -hmm. I'm not there anymore, but I do know the thing about Zoom Air is it's so neat. It's heads of, only the real heads know right. how awesome mm -hmm. Zoom Air and even Lunar is. Okay. And and because Nike has such a deep archive of stuff, it's really hard to compete with like the Air Max 1, the right. 90, the 95, the 97. You know, I can just keep going the 180. Right. You know, and so you're like, there's 55 shoes that are amazing, you know, um, like the Gotex. The Gotex are some of my favorite had, shoes ever. I had that shoe. I mentioned it on the podcast. I bought it at there's a store, George and Phillips in Exeter, New Hampshire. Um, it's like where I grew up, but they it was like fifty dollars in two thousand and eight. It was just sitting in the store 
all these years later I, you? and i sold to the someone on nike talk yeah. which was <laughs> oh. which was uh awful uh jesse i want to ask you 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 know you mentioned new things uh you, you mentioned jeff mcfetrich i know you worked on the vandals he did you had said in the past too that the vandal was a shoe that you love but you feel like you could never wear it what was it like creating that that tearaway shoe and like the legacy it has created love within that sneaker culture i mean people like travis doing those yeah. sort of shoes you know yeah i think like um one of the reasons that jeff jeff has become like a really good friend like we've worked together for years and and um he's 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 great um but why we work with jeff is that he was going to push push things and the whole idea of like vandalizing the vandal it's just kind of like mm. funny it's like you're going to destroy it when we were the other thing too is like when we when we thought about that idea, think about like the time of when it was. And people like want to keep their shoes pristine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Retailers want to sell the most pristine shoes. Imagine with our faces when we were like, okay, here's this shoe with an artist. And they're like, it's just pinstripe. Like, I know. You gotta fuck it up to get it. And they're like, no one's gonna want to do this. No one's gonna wanna like rip off the top. Mm -hmm. Or and and we're like, yo, like heads will and yeah. people were burning the fabric and yeah so to me that was one that like when people say what are your favorite collaborations the jeff mcfedridge vandal it didn't sell the most but like that's never been a filter for me in terms of like what's been awesome it just never has and so but it pushed a lot of things and i and the fact of like two-in-one and ripping up ripping material off because from a factory standpoint it was really groundbreaking and we used to always say in sportswear, like we would innovate on sneakers in a different way. Like we weren't bringing the latest technology in terms of like airbags, right? but nobody before was doing like a tear off. No one was doing a splatter. No one was doing photorealistic prints on beautiful loser dunks. Like that had never happened before. It's like, how do you do it in, from a commercial standpoint and at the factory level? So, so yeah, that, that, that shoe, seeing stuff like that still being used today, like the tearaway stuff, I think it's great because it's like it's another filter creatives can get behind. I think like Welty said earlier, Jesse, a lot of your work helped change Nike into a company that was speaking more directly to this kind of sneaker collector, sneaker consumer. And I think part of that in so many of these shoes you made was the, the resale market that came afterward, this kind of secondary effect of the work you were making. Do you remember, was there a moment where you were like, oh shit, people are reselling this stuff and this is a serious business? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And it was very, very early on. Like it was literally when I was at Eakin. Like I wasn't, when I was in Eakin, I was just stacking things in my memory of like, okay, if I was there, this is what I would do. This is what I would do. This is what I do. Mm -hmm. Because again, Nike was a different place back then. And resell was a big thing. You know, like in the, in the, the late idea 90s, of resell, absolutely. Like the dudes that worked at finish line and foot action, they had their hustle. Like they knew how to, people were, people were flipping shoes already way back then. But you just had to know Which when, who, like when the press, I think the Prestos, people always credit like the dunk. When the mm -hmm. Presto came out, I think that created like, because there were so many different colors. Yes. So yeah. I think the Presto created People the were reselling the Prestos like that? People were hunting for Prestos. Yeah. Like, it was like, but again, it wasn't like you were flipping it for like, it was like, okay, I bought it for 120. I'll sell it to you for 150. You right. See, that like was the state. difference, yeah. bulk and 50 to $100 a pair. That's kind of what I, I mentioned that I, finish line, I remember they started to resell, but it was 
a lot of pairs, but not thousands of right. dollars. 50 here, 100 here. Right. So yeah, that falls in line with what I saw as well. Yeah, because it was it, it was a it wasn't a game. It was kind of a culture. Today it's a game, you know. And I was talking to Clark about that. Like it's it's a it's a video game. Sneakers are a, it's not it's no longer a, a piece of, of footwear. Back then it was a piece of footwear. Like I would buy people would flip them because they wanted to wear them. Right. And they weren't trying to, they weren't trying to reflip. It wasn't that that hadn't happened yet. So it's a different time. Do you remember? I, I want to like. I want to know about those early projects with cause too. Were you, were you involved with those? I feel like a lot of people mm -hmm. now only, yeah. uh, only have the frame of reference of the cause Jordans, but you guys were doing cause sneakers with Nike Sportswear, you know, in the decade before that. Yeah. Like I remember the first time I met Brian, um, I was work, we were working, we were going to, we were pitching him to kind of work with them on a project. Um, and I remember going to his studio in Brooklyn and this was the first time I ever went to Peter Luger's mm -hmm. was with, was with Cause and with Eric Elms because Eric was working with Cause at the time, and that's when I met Eric. And we went to Peter, so it was great because I showed up and he's like, "Yo, have you had lunch yet?" And I was like, "No." Nah. And he's like, "We're going to Peter Luger's. You want to go?" And I'm like, "I'm in." <laughs> so, so we went. Um, but again, I was at, I was at Nike, so it's funny because they were like, "Yo, it's cash only." I was like, "Oh shit!" So I like at the time I was like, "Oh great, I got to figure out how to get cash." But anyways. Um, we had, we, had, we had lunch and it was like Cos and, and Eric introduced me to Peter Lugers. But then we went back and, and Brian was like, I want to show you something. I just got a bunch of boxes in. And it sucks because I had an old camera, an old phone and I lost and it got broken. Whatever. I lost a shitload of photos. But it was it was literally he was like lining up like his, you know, bare bricks, thousand percent. And he was lining. He had them all lined up in his studio. And I walked in, I was like, holy shit, this is insane. It was probably like 75 or 100 of them just lined up. And this was before people really knew like about Metacom and stuff because Cause was yeah. down early, early. Um, so yeah, so working with him was was great. But we did those shoes and he, he every, people who knew knew, but he hadn't broke yet. He wasn't like the a, artist. A, a pop is, culture hey. type yeah. artist. Yeah, like he isn't like, he's literally going to be, yeah, he, he's he's changed everything. Back then, he was he was Brian, who like you know people knew, and and he was just a regular dude. You could walk down the street, and you know he was normal. But um, it was great working with him because he was just just like his art. Everything was just so simple. It was just like I just want two X's. We're like all right, but then it was like, but the weave with the X's, and then the 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 weight of the X from the top to the bottom has to be. There was just a lot of really simple nuances, but all of those shoes are some of my favorite shoes of all time. Like the Air Max 90 Currents that we did with them are yeah. super, in my opinion, yeah. underrated because um, it was a technology shoe with an artist that's like game changing that will go like he's our generation's Basquiat, you know. Um, so, yeah, he, it has been great. So, yeah, working with him was amazing. Jesse, how much interaction did you have during the Kanye era of Nike? Very little, zero, almost none, because oh. when that happened, I was moving over to Nike SV. Okay. So, so as soon as like all that started happening, I had transitioned to start working with Sandy and the SV crew. And so like at Nike, it's like, once you, once you shift, you're like, you're just on a whole different thing. Um, so no, I, I mean, I knew everything that was happening there, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with the Kanye stuff.
Jesse, so you mentioned you mentioned that you're going to going to SB. Um, you know, before that, you know, you're working on a lot of these like sportswear silhouettes, putting lunar soles on air flows. And like you look at all those shoes and it's like these are very like Jesse Leva sneakers. But then you you switched to, to SB and it was like in 2011 and it was like right off of the arrow, like after the first you know, surge of SB had happened and the brand was kind of trying to recreate that hype to kind of not the same effect as the original wave. Like, what was it like working mm -hmm. on SB in that era for you and especially working on like less innovative footwear than you're used to? Oh, it was great. I mean, I, it was, so if you rewind when Sandy first came back from the Olympics and because he took some time off to, to train Kathy Freeman. So when he came back, we were working around, like that was just after the Alpha Numeric dump. And he was like, what are you guys doing? And we were talking about this stuff. And he was like, we're going to start the skate brand. Do you want to come do it? And I was like, no, I want to stay with, at the time, my mentor was Richard Clark. And I was like, there's so much I'm learning from him in terms of design. Because I was transitioning from, and, and really, getting into a pretty cool space, but I remained friends with him. And then a few years later, he asked again, he was like, Hey, um, would you be willing to, you want to come over to SB? And I was like, not, not yet. And then the third time was 2011. And, he, and I'm like, you're not going to, it's like, Richard was like, you have to go. Like you can't turn him down three times. Hmm. Like you have to go. And, but it was crazy because when I went, Sandy was like, I was always about trying to like, learn more things and put more tools in my tool belt and i'll have forever think I'll, I'll be forever thankful for nike to nike because i was able to touch so many different areas of the brand from marketing to product to product development you know to, to design to product design to brand design but sandy was like we're gonna we're seeing a weird shift in sb we're gonna take another step but sandy i have an interesting story so i flew home from europe with with Sandy, Richard, and Mark Parker. Mm -hmm. And we were flying home from Europe from a Nike Design Days. So back then we used to have these things called Design Days where all the designers would go on these crazy trips. And Sandy was heading up design at that time, all of Nike Design. And I was doing a design immersion in Europe. So on the way back, he was like, hey, do you wanna fly back with us? I was like, yeah. And I, he's like, okay, think about a couple questions. You're gonna have like 30 minutes with Mark on the plane, ask him whatever you want. And I was like, Damn. Okay, cool. And I remember asking him, like, how do you, how do you do what you do? And I remember Mark saying, you're so worried about next season. He's like, I'm looking five, 10 years out. And I was like, all right, how do I get to that? How do I start thinking like that? Cause it's to train your, to train yourself to do that is really hard. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to 2011 and Sandy was like, if you really want to be a good creative director, you need to really understand the business. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, because right now so much, so many things are shifting in the world. And he was already getting a glimpse of like the digital piece that's going to start happening. Right. And he's like, you need to understand how that's going to work. So he's like, I want you to come out of design, go back into the business and run the footwear business for SB and at the time 6.0 and learn that. And then you take over and be the creative director of it. So that was awesome because I got to, so when you say like, what was the shift? It was an, another thing that I hadn't done a lot of. I worked with Rashid Wallace on the Air Force Ones. Nice. But what Sandy kept saying is like, you need to work with some athletes. And so when I went to SB, 
you know, we were like working through what are we going to do with Costin, right? And Costin's always been about innovation and technology. Like he's always wanted to push things forward. And so there was a really good athlete there. And then Alex Olson had just been signed. And Alex was so about like, just he's always been about different. So to me, the challenge was just the same. I was like, wait, I get to work with Eric, who I've always looked up to and then became friends with. And I always looked up to, or not, I didn't look up to Alex, I'm older than him, but I always admired Alex Olson and his approach to everything creative. So when I went to SB, you know, we still did the same kind of thing. Like we, you know, you look at the Costin, the Costin threes, et cetera, we were using Flyknit and we were always trying to steal from big Nike to put it into Nike SB, which was kind of what I was doing in sportswear. I was kind of stealing stuff from the sport teams and then like stealing free technology and doing a free trainer for Stussy. You know, it was like they were the, the, the sport teams were like, why are you taking our free technology? You're going to ruin it. And I'm like, no, no. Or taking the free trail and having Futura do a free trail, uh, a free, you know, free trail. Right. So you know, to me, it was, it was great. Working in SB was a different, it wasn't about the dunks. It was about how do we push things forward? And then we had a plan for the dunks going back to five, 10 years. We had it strategically mapped, like when we wanted to do it, but we, but Sandy was like innovation, innovation, innovation. Um, always first you know since like you mentioned like this kind of nike technology and it's 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 interesting because the high level that you were working on for so many years i feel like the stuff you were involved in was to some extent like for people like us the most important stuff how hard was it to keep that stuff secretive or, or you know how hard was it to not get it to leak online like were you super concerned with things like that yeah like we so I strategically didn't want to have an office. Like I liked being on the, the floor with all like all the designers and just like mixing. I never wanted to get be an office person. Mm -hmm. And when I was in sportswear, we used to put tape around our areas and it would say like authorized people only. <laughs> and so there were people that we wouldn't let in. We're like, we'll come out there. You yeah. cannot come into this space um, because of that. Cause we were like working on stuff. We didn't want to show things. Um, did you ever have a secret leak where you were like, Oh my God, how did this, how did this get out there? I mean, you're, you're always, you're always worried about that, but I was more worried about it because when I was in sportswear, we used to like, I used to always tell the crew, it's like, I used to always say, Hey, anybody can make one hot sneaker. We have to make the dude who loves the air force buy sneaker number 100. Mm. That's really hard. You got to really respect that dude or that girl who loves the sneaker so much. And so for us, we were always working through to go, how are we always going to solve what that customer or consumer wants? And again, we were always looking at like, we weren't just doing one. We had to do a collection of them right. for different people. So, so secrecy was up like everything. And, but we did like to share, like I carrying the bag. And I don't know if you guys have heard that from other people, like, I think that's something that's missing today. I don't think it'll ever come back because everything is so digital. Right. But everywhere I travel, if people knew me, they knew I was always traveling with a bag or something. That's that's the and best. When a Nike the, person shows up with that bag and you grab a conference room somewhere yes. and they crack open the bag. Yes. That's a yeah. And and for me, it was always like over breakfast or over like I I was and again I, I learned from early days of like the guys like Drew and stuff. Like if I went to New York. I would never go to the New York office. I'm like, yo, I'm in Beaverton. 
I don't need to go to New York to go to another Nike office. Like I was in the street. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, what's the, what's the coolest restaurant? What's the hottest restaurant? I love chai. Where's the dope chai spot? And then you just pull up with some sneakers and you just talk, talk sneakers. Um, that was kind of the way we did it back then. Yeah. I feel like I interviewed you in a lot of hotel lobbies and never at the Nike office. Yeah. Like people were always pissed. They're like, why aren't you going to, I'm like, yo, I'm not going to the Nike office. Like you are not going to see me there. Um, not, no diss to the office because it's great, but I'm like, I'm not coming to New York or Berlin or to go hang out in the office. I yeah. want to be on the street. Jesse, you worked on so many projects. Is there one that you think should have got more notoriety or one that you feel is underrated compared that compared to the other ones that in your mind really maybe it was too early or something like pound for pound that this was one of your favorite projects maybe it wasn't the biggest or the most notable i think there's a couple of them i think and they were in the same era okay i think what we did with high like the idea of hybrid Mm. is i love seeing what sneakers have evolved to today Mm -hmm. because when we were trying to when we were doing that in the early days people were like wait you're taking this and that and putting it together and, and i love seeing how people are doing that the the Stussy Trainer series to me is one that of all the Stussy projects I worked on, it's probably the least known, mm-hmm. but to me, it was the one that pushed it the far, the farthest. Yeah. Like it was, it was really innovative to me. So I think that one, and then I couldn't, I would have to say also like the, um, the first take trainer series with Tinker, because when I first met Tinker, he had a picture of a trainer one and he probably still has it behind his desk. And I remember like talking to him and I'd always be like, what is that? What is that? And then when I got to know him and I was like, what is that? And he's like, this is the trainer. If you know Tinker, he's like, this is the trainer one before, you know, blah, 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 got their hands on and, and they <laughs> changed Corbett it all. ruined it. And he's, like, yeah, he's, like, he's like, this is what it should have been like. And I was I, at the time, again, back then, nobody knew what we were doing. And I'm like, well, what if we remake it? Yeah. And he's like, he's like, it's going to like no reviews, dude. I promise you we'll make it. It'll just go straight to the market no changes exactly how you wanted it back in the day in 87. And he's like, let's do it. And then we did, and then he was, but Tinker's always like, but then we have to do the new one. And I didn't work in training, like cross training. There was a whole training division. right? And Tinker was like, we're going to make the ultimate training shoot through sportswear. So that project to me, like it was called like re- re- rejuvenation of a, a trainer one was so cool because it was what a designer really wanted. And I kind of, I really felt like emotional on that piece where, you know, as a designer, you're constantly compromising. Somebody's reviewing your design. There's always a client, but to be able to do, to put something in the market 20 years later for him that nobody can mess with, you know, obviously he became a lot more successful and now nobody messes with his shoes. But I think back then people were still giving him feedback and he was still executing some feedback. So those are probably the two. And then you mentioned the, the dunk the, or the vandal with, with Jeff. Yeah. Um, and then one that you guys probably like, because you guys are the media, the nylon, the women's nylon dunks. Yeah. Nobody even remembers those. Yeah. That was the first time we collaborated on a dunk for, for women with the women's magazine in a series of colors. All right. And, and it was like, we did it with nylon. It was super limited. And they're like, it was cool. Cause it's the first time we did a dunk in nylon. Yeah. So we were looking at the vandal because typically the vandal was in nylon, and we were like transitioning. So that somebody, shoot somebody told so, somebody no, told they, they did a men's. They did a men. Didn't you guys then do a men's black and red one? 
the same. Yes. Those were I, I bought both of those around this nylon but pack. Well, Wealthy has someone, an interesting story. And I don't I, Jesse, I don't even know if this is true or not. Like I've worked at Complex for like a long time now, but this is even before the era that I was there. And someone in the office had like told me a story that probably got passed through the telephone. And I, I don't know if this is true or not, so just clarify it is that someone had told me that that was originally supposed to there was supposed to be a complex no collab that's what I had heard. I never heard that. That's but what. Someone, Jesse, did you ever hear that? <laughs> no. I never okay, did. No. Then okay. it's not true. Right. Someone told me that through the through the grapevine there was supposed to be a complex collaboration in. Jesse shut it down. In someone, <laughs> someone along <laughs> Jesse the line. Not happening. I was definitely jealous of these nylon dunks, though. No, no, no. I, I, I never worked or I never talked to Complex about doing a, a sneaker collaboration. Not that we would have said no. Just I don't remember it ever happening. Nylon was so important though because again. I was a material, I still am a material nerd. Like yeah. I love materials on sneakers. And it was just, it just felt so nice. Like, okay, we vandal, we just vandalized Dunk. What if we nylon, or the, we just vandalized the Vandal. What if we nylon Dunk? It's such a good story. But again, back then, there wasn't the, the place to be able to really tell a women's story. But that shoe to me is like one of the coolest ones. Cause like the details on that, like That's bananas. It's it's interesting too. Like looking back through all the shoes you've done, there's some of those that I don't even remember. I don't like acronym Nike blazers that you did before before like the modern yeah. version of acronym Nike. Did those ever come out? No, like so I just did those for Aerosmith. So back back years ago when when nobody knew what acronym was, this is like 2009, so like 2010, the, maybe even before that. Yeah, you know. And I was in Berlin with him, and I was. I was there when he was doing one of his shoots for uh, the new line that's coming out. And he was always wearing Nikes back then. And I was like, what if we did some like shoes for you just for like your photo shoot? And that's kind of how things happened back then. And he was mm -hmm. like, oh, that'd be great. And so we made, but well, we made them out of um, Maharam material. So at the time I was working with Maharam from, from New York and we did a whole horsehair piece. We did a thing at, I don't know if you guys remember the, the art gallery uh, called Moss in New York. Okay. So Moss, Moss was on, on Houston and we did a project, an Air Force One project with them. And Tom Brown did the whole styling. This was like back in the day. We, we came up with a bunch of new materials and I was like, Errolson, you'd love these materials because he's a materials nerd. And he was like, I love them. And so we did like these horsehair kind of like fabrics and stuff on it. But yeah, it was all just for him. I think we made maybe again back 24 mm -hmm. 15 or whatever send it to Arrowson. i have a pair yeah but yeah those are some of my favorite blazers but yeah nobody knew Arrowson was it well people knew but today he's like right you know he's another Errolson. level another level and yeah he he's another level and he's like done some amazing sneakers and apparel line but back then he was it was just like a guy we had met um in berlin jesse i just want to ask you a really kind of maybe it's an oddball question but you worked on a lot of the you know the 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 fusion sort of sneakers at the time what were your thoughts on the actual jordan fusions i mean i don't know what the question's supposed to be. like do i like like do i like it just it's just fun, it's just funny because thinking about it you know you worked on a lot of shoes yeah like i to me that's like the you know the definition of your work in that era is taking archival shoe yeah. and putting like a lunar or free or motion sole on the shoe but then you know you start putting Air Jordan fives with Air Force One soles, and it didn't. I don't think it has the same legacy, but yeah, we like 
I used to always have this thing when I was there, like, um, it's all about timing. And sometimes because you can, you shouldn't. And so I think some shoes are just, you just don't need to. <laughs> like, it's to just, be. they're just, they're just not meant to be only because you never want to say anything's perfect, but for what it's, what it's designed to be, some of those shoes are pretty freaking perfect. <laughs> like, you don't need to do anything to them. It, that's how I, but, but I respect the, the designers that worked on it because again, they were trying to push it forward. Um, and again, going back, if it informed a Jordan, because the whole thing we were trying to do is when we were doing those projects, we were trying to do it so we could inform a potential new look and feel for performance. So when we were doing the Stussy trainer, we were like, how do you create a new trainer? We mm -hmm. weren't trying to do like, how, we never were like, how do you do a fashion shoot? Because the street can make it fashion. We were, I, I always believe like my role when I was at Nike wasn't to be a fashion guy. My role at Nike was to figure out how to actually deliver great shoes. That was it. That was my input. I wasn't like a, I'm not a fashion designer, um, but I know sneakers really well. Um, so yeah, that, to me, it's, if it makes sense and it's going to push you somewhere forward, yeah, do it. Um, if you're just doing it because it's like, you like the way it looks, I, don't, I think you always get in trouble with that one. So you're saying don't just do it. <laughs> I didn't say no, that. No, no. <laughs> do it. <laughs> I'm always like, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse, a lifelong Nike collector as a kid and had so much success there. When, when you left, when did you know that it was the right time to leave? I think when... I came into Nike and it was like, it was a group of friends, mm -hmm. really, you know, and like someone who now I consider one of my best friends at the time, he became like one of the first person and people I met in, in training and he pushed me to become an Eakin, he became my mentor and then he left, you know, and then other people were just leaving and it was like, Nike's an amazing college to learn a lot of stuff and I've, I've always believed like, it's best when it's really young. And it was like, hey, it's time for the new generation to take it because what they're doing is amazing. Um, but then selfishly for me, it was like, okay, I went to college at Nike. Can I do this stuff on my own? Right. Um, or can I, or I started getting into other things. Like I was really into like, you know, homeware. I was really into cooking. I was still into sneakers. I was into like sustainability. And so I was into all these other things and it's like, well, why don't, is, is it time? And I toured with it for years, you know, and I think it was, it was the right time. I think for both, for both me and Nike, I think it was just time where it was like, Hey, let's let the new guard take it and run and, and we'll do some other stuff. So, so you left in 2018, right? I want to know though, yeah. can you tell us some of the sneakers you've been working on since then? Cause you've still quietly had your hand in like a lot of sneaker projects, right? Yeah. Like, so I left in 2018 and I remember having conversations and, and having, um, having a breakfast with like with James Bond and, and Bruzy and those guys at undefeated and they were looking to retool as well. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's funny how everything goes backwards because I had worked on a project called the clerks, the clerks mm -hmm. pack. Yep. I don't yeah. know if you guys remember that. So, of course. and three, and three of the clerks were Chris Gibbs, yes. Fred Lozano and Adam Weissman. Mm -hmm. And they were again, just friends and they were, so those guys who don't know, Chris was running Union, Fred was the man at Undefeated, and, and Adam was the guy at Stussy. Mm -hmm. So back then it was like, in clerks then, like to be a shop kid at Stussy, and it still is, to me, I think it still is. It's like to be a shop kid on Stussy La Brea is fucking dope. To a be running deal, Union, yeah. LA, a big deal. Like you're, you're the guy. Um, and so fast forward to 2018, 
And they were like, I'm sitting there, you know, with James Bond and with Alex and Fred and, and, and Chris and Adam. And it's like, what if you guys come work for us? Mm. And we were like, yeah, that could be sick. So yeah, I've been working with Undefeated, designing um, their collaboration sneakers and apparel with Chris and Adam. And so since 2018, so some of the Air Max 90s that have come out, um, we have a few things dropping this weekend, um, which are pretty cool. The Kobe's, the Kobe projects mm -hmm. we worked on. So we've still been playing around with, with um, sneakers from a Nike standpoint, for sure. And then a couple of, you know, some other stuff too. Jesse, I always ask, I always like asking people who were like there from the beginning, the kid with your dad, 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. outside of the mall at Nordstrom. And you talking about Mark Parker thinking about five to 10 seasons ahead. You see the state of sneakers now, how rabid it is. And I think that you could identify with it because you were waiting outside for those Jordan ones. Is it crazy to see how big it's got or you could have expected and kind of predicted it when you were working at Nike all those years? We knew it was, I, well, I guess I'll back up. Per, from a personal standpoint, I knew how big it could become mm -hmm. because if you just do the simple math of like, kids are kids everywhere. And the more you get information, and you're getting information at the exact same time. Like the reason it was so small in the nineties and two thousands is that besides like the source or complex or the fader, you know, true. you didn't have people telling you what was coming. Mm -hmm. And back then, like if I was like sending shoes to Hawaii Mike at the source, yep. the shoes were already going to come out like the next month. Mm -hmm. So like Mike wasn't getting them like nine months in advance or 12 months in advance, but there was also a code back then. And Mike also wasn't going to leak them mm -hmm. because Part of his work was knowing and like when that when source dropped, it was something fresh. Yep. Today it's changed because the amount of value in a sneaker, like leaking a sneaker is just like posting it. Yep. So as soon as it comes up, it's like it's, it's gone. And so, but that's okay. It's just, it's different now. Um, I think it's gonna continue to grow, but like I was saying earlier, I think it's a game today. It wasn't a game back in the nineties and the early two thousands. It was just something we like to buy and we like to wear. Today, it's become a game, yeah. um, which I think is it's changing. Because um, even you look at the sneakers and they're designed like a video game. Like it's like if you can think it, you can design it. Or yeah. back then, it wasn't like that. Yeah. It was it was designed to wear. Today, it's like how crazy can you get? You know. Um, Are you still collecting? I I'm still collecting, um, but I collect differently. Like I was telling somebody the other day. Um, I buy threes to fives. So if I like something, I'll buy either three pairs or five pairs. Amazing. And so, and I only wear triple black. So I purchase like the footscapes and the footscapes from Comme des Garcons. I think yeah. I have like five to seven pairs of those. Cause I just keep them rotating all the time. The 95s from Comme des Garcons. I think I bought three pairs of them. Love those. The, Humar, the, the black Humaras, I've been going and buying them like on and, and stadium clarify, or whatever. This is crazy. Jesse Leva worked at Nike for, again, 20 years, whatever. And he's out here buying Comme des Garcons Nikes for retail or even from stadium goods. Yeah. It's, yeah, I because it's like, I don't, it's not the same getting it for free. Like I like to be, and I like to go buy it. There. Right. I love like it. I'm, I'm, I'm old school. I'm like, I want to go there. I want to talk to the, the the shop clerk that I'm buying the the Telarius from, or I'm buying the Footscapes, and I want to be like, "Yo, what do you think of these?" Like, dude, these are so like I just I could spend 30 minutes. I miss out of the 30 minutes talking if I just mm. buy them online. Yeah, I like, guess it's just no fun. It's you know, 
is it crazy for you to like work on all these cool shoes throughout all the years and now all of a sudden there's like like they're getting reinvigorated because like someone like travis just decides to wear it one day and the next thing you know that's like the biggest shoe of all time uh yeah i mean well but travis is when we were younger seeing dion or seeing bo jackson or seeing michael jordan that was the same as today's kids seeing travis scott you know like it's just it's just straight up it's like nope i don't know if kids are watching the nba playoffs like i am you know they might watch the highlights on sports center so i don't think that is moving them what's moving them is what they see every day which is travis scott or kendrick lamar or kanye or and so it's just everything's just shifted it was the same for me and probably you guys but it was more like i said like bo jackson Deion sanders you know barkley um so it doesn't surprise me um at all but it has it has shifted mm -hmm. the way the color palettes have gone because the reason i think we i really love like a team-based color is because dion barkley you know jordan played on teams so the, t the colors had to be in a palette when you're talking about travis scott he can do whatever he wants there is no color palette rule so he's just going for it jesse looking through your archive last night and you know texting back and forth just can't believe how many projects you worked on and i'm sure like we could spend hours talking through all of them but <laughs> i was i was like i need I, 10 hours with yeah this guy. i mean i think it has to go down the list honestly like, i think boom, about boom, that boom. top 50 sneakers feature and it's like maybe we have to do the the stories behind his his projects one day because such a extensive resume and we can't thank you enough for chopping it up with us and it's just an honor to to yeah talk to you about all this stuff and and um, to see that you're still very heavily involved in some of these big projects, it's it's great to see. And again, thanks so much for taking the time. No, nah, man, thank thank you guys. Like I can talk sneakers all day, so no, it's been good. Love it, appreciate it, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. Hi, right, fellas. Thanks so much for watching the Complex Sneakers podcast. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and we hope everyone has a great holiday weekend. We'll see you next week. Our producer is Dave Matthews. Our associate producer is Jasmine Plata. Sound engineering done by Kyle Garvey. Special thanks to Jen Stewart and Shiva Bayet. The Complex Sneakers Podcast is a production of the Complex Podcast Network.